Hello, and welcome to the Black Shoe Basic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Patrick Kerbler. And on the other end, as always, we have Mr. Alex Robinson. Hey, Rob, my friend, how are you doing? I'm not stellar. The Yankees didn't do anything over the trade deadline. We immediately, in about 24 hours, went from going to win the World Series to this is a rebuilding year. So that's that's kind of a bummer, but <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily true, but. But other than that, I'm not bad. How are you, Pat? I'm doing okay. I don't follow Yankees close enough where I know all the happenings, but I feel like calling it a rebuilding year now when they have the second best record in baseball and are, what, nine games up on the Red Sox and the Rays and are clearly going to win the division. They just have so many injuries, so I kind of also understand why they don't want to go all in. But this is not a Yankees podcast. This is a Penn State football podcast, and Penn State football is pretty much here. We don't know when we're going to release this episode. It is July it is Wednesday, July 31st. So by the time we release this media day could have already happened. Uh, fall practice could have already started, or maybe we'll release it tomorrow, which is today for those that are listening. And <laughs> either way, Penn State football is pretty much here. It might be for it might be after media day, but it's football season pretty much. So we are going to obviously talk Penn State football today. We have a bunch of over unders that we'll be going over. And uh, mostly Penn State centric, but also a couple national stuff and uh, Big Ten affiliated stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about these. We kind of sat for a couple days, tried to give our best guess at where some of these players would be, how they would do this year. So these are completely, you can't bet on them in Vegas, although you should be able to. But yeah, we're going to give just kind of a season preview in the form of just numbers, which I'm kind of excited about. I like how you said we sat for a couple of days when we actually tried recording this last week, but your computer didn't work. So that's why this is not coming out this week. Well, it, it has been a couple of days then. It's, yeah, te- technically not wrong. Regardless, we'll jump into it right away. And we're going to start where I feel like everybody kind of has to start with Penn State football this year. That is the quarterback position and Sean Clifford. Alex, you came out with these two over-unders. We'll start with the first one. Over-under, 3,238 passing yards for Sean Clifford. And what is this, the average of Trace McSorley's passing yards in his career? Right. We have two for Sean Clifford. It's 3,238 passing yards and 25 touchdowns. Those are both the per-season average of Trace McSorley. I figured that was probably the best baseline, for lack of a better word. I don't think that you can really count anything Christian Hackenberg did under James Franklin just because he wasn't really a James Franklin guy. Also, just not a good quarterback in general, but besides well, the point. I mean, I, yeah, but so we had a pretty good sample size, obviously, of Trace. This is how he did. And Sean Clifford is a Franklin guy, was recruited by James Franklin, obviously. So this is where we set our over under at. And for passing yards at the very least, 3,238. I think I'm going to go under on this. Oh. That means that he needs to average 270 yards a game. It's like 269.7 or something like that yards per game. And I just 
think that it will be difficult to do that your first year. It's you, you have new receivers to adapt to. You have, I mean, you're you're playing against the first straight defense of Ohio State, of Michigan, of all these teams. Obviously, you can see them putting up 400 yards against the Idaho's and Buffalo's and Pitts of the world because they're all approximately the same there. But I don't see him averaging 270 yards a game. He could have one or two like really breakout games against like hopefully like an Iowa or something like that. But you're going to need to perform really well under the big lights. And I mean, Trace is one of the best quarterbacks in Penn State history, and he didn't do that all the time. So I don't know that it's necessarily fair to put that high expectation on Sean Clifford his first year. Next year, slam dunk over. Hopefully. But this year, I'm going to go under. Okay, I'm going over. So Trace went over on this number, 3,238 in 2016-2017. He did not go over last year, and it was not all that close. He only threw, threw for 2,530 yards. Two reasons that I think this will be over one being that if the wide receivers even catch half the balls that they dropped last year, Trace should have probably gone over. So I think that's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. I think it should be over. And secondly, especially last year, like so much of Trace's offense and even years prior was coming on the ground in a way that it's not going to be going on the ground for Sean Clifford, and I'm sure that they'll probably lean on the the running backs to obviously get the rushing yards a little bit more than they have in the past. But I still think that I, I just, I mean, who we'll save it for our preview podcasts. But it's tough to see a scenario where Clifford throws for under three thousand thirty two hundred yards and Penn State isn't successful. Which maybe, and that's that depends on your how you want to define successful, but I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's going to be over though. I certainly hope it's over. And this is a Sean Clifford podcast. So I kind of have to go over, which, Hey, absolutely fair. Now our second one for Sean Clifford, like we said, is 25 touchdowns. What do you think about that? Matt? I feel like this one is a lot more clear. Yeah, this, uh, so trace went over again in 2016, 2017 with 29 and 28 touchdowns and then did not go over last year with only 18 touchdowns. But again, I feel like so many of Trace's touchdowns, especially in the red zone, were passing touchdowns were taken away because he was running the ball. And what, he had like 11 or 12 rushing touchdowns last year. So if you cut that in half, you make those touch passing touchdowns. Either way, my main point is I think because Clifford is in the runner that Trace's are going to lean on his arm a little bit more, even in the red zone. So I am also going to go over for 25 touchdowns as well. I don't think it's a slam dunk and i don't think like penn state necessarily needs him to throw 25 touchdowns to be successful i think there's obviously other ways to do that but i don't know 25 it seems like a good baseline I, and i could see either side but i'm gonna go with over what are you thinking i'm also gonna go with the over i think sean clifford is not the most mobile guy he, he can get around if he absolutely needs to but he's no trace he's not gonna bust out a 50 yard run and it's only two touchdowns a game on average. You can't tell me that he's not going to put up like eight against Pitt. He's going to put up probably four or five against Idaho and Buffalo. At the very least, those are going to pad his numbers for the games where he has only one touchdown or no touchdowns and a pick, something like that, which inevitably we're going to get with just natural growing pains for a young quarterback. So I'm going to go over. 
I think it should be should be pretty easy. I actually I, I'm thinking about this now, and I just looked at uh, the Big Ten quarterbacks last year. And granted, the Big Ten is not exactly the stable of elite quarterbacks, but only Dwayne Haskins and Nate Stanley had over 25 touchdowns last year. And Haskins, obviously, he had 50, whereas Nate Stanley only had 26. So now that I think about that, and not that I think that Clifford can't be better than Nate Stanley, because I, I think he will be, but I don't know. I think I'm going to switch Thunder. I think it's Thunder on me. Like I said, I think it's going to be close, but I, 25 is more than I was probably thinking in my head. So, because even like Shea Patterson, which granted Michigan's offense was kind of eh last year, but he had 22 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Yeah, I'm going to switch and I'm going to go under. So, I I see what you're saying. I just think that I, I don't know. I don't think that this necessarily will happen, but I could totally see it happening. I could, I think that he could possibly have 15, 16 touchdowns at the end of September. So, I think just based on that, he's going to hit 25. So, I see what you're saying, but I'm still going to stick with the over. Yeah, it's kind of tough with those early, early games because, like you said, if he gets. Like you're gonna Stanley. pat the stats. You're gonna pat well, the stats. Try and let him throw the ball against lesser competition. Just get comfortable with your receivers. Yeah, because that's like one of the things. Like I know Nate Stanley, and I think his were like against Ohio State the one year. So it's not necessarily like patting stats against bad teams. But if you have like a, if you have two five touchdown games, which granted those are not all that easy to get, but I don't know. Again, I feel like twenty five is a, a good mark, but I am I am gonna go under with it. Uh, do you want to talk about the offensive line? It is up to you. All right, we'll go to the offensive line. We'll just was kind of go in order. Sacks given up. So we have it at 28 and a half sacks given up by the Penn State offensive line this year. What are you thinking on this? Was this an easy call for you? Was it kind of tough? Do you feel like 28 and a half is kind of right down the middle? I think this was pretty easy, and I think we're going to go over. That's simply because we had 31. We Penn State gave up 31 sacks last year. And that was with a mobile quarterback that knew what he was doing. Right now, Penn State doesn't have as mobile a quarterback that, and he and he just doesn't know what he's doing. Last year he had a three-year starter. This year he's stepping in for the first time. I think there are going to be some growing pains, and I could see him probably getting sacked more than thirty-one times. So I'm going over. This one wasn't really a really a competition for me. Yeah. So going back to 2016. Penn State went under here, but then the last two years they were over. 2017, they had 29, they gave up 29 sacks, and then 2018, they gave up 31 sacks, which sometimes it felt like more than 31 sacks, but that's besides the point. Um, I agree with you because I think, you know, Clifford is not as mobile as Trace, and perhaps he's going to have way better pocket awareness, but even against Kentucky, which granted, we only saw a couple snaps from Clifford, and a lot of that was just Josh Allen, who was an absolute beast. But Clifford's pocket awareness, he just looked like a young guy. And that's totally something that will improve over time and probably could have improved on this offseason. But still, that was something that Trace Trace was was pretty good at. And, you know, Clifford's just not as mobile. So, yeah, I also have over and I, I don't think it's all particularly close. I think, uh, you know, them hitting 30 is unfortunately a, a pretty good bet, which eh, we'll, we'll, we'll see with the offensive line. Who really knows? But. I could totally see him just even holding on to the ball four or five seconds, just taking a little extra 
bit longer to go through its reads, just getting used to it. And that's going to lead to some sacks, you know, where trace didn't have that problem. So, all right, well, let's jump to the defense now, which we'll be coming back to the offense a little bit later, but this one in particular sticks out to me. Micah Parsons over under 111 and a half tackles. And you came out with this one. So I'm curious why you picked 111 and a half. Does that have anything to do with the double six stuff or or what exactly was behind your reasoning on that number? So this one, I actually did some research. Um, we like that. Yeah, my, my, my system has been down at work and there have been many times where I just sit there and do nothing all day. So I've had plenty of time to do some research. So for this one, we averaged the total of the team's leading tacklers from 2005 to 2017. 2005 was the farthest back the sportsreference.com goes for individual defensive stats. The average of Penn State's leading tackler is 111.6. So I set it at 111.5 because that, I mean, if he hits 112, then he hits over that average. So this actually leads us into a new bit that we are calling Stump the Pat. This is a working title, but um, I like it. I have a trivia question for Pat. We are going to see if I can stump him or not. So how do you, how do you know I'm not just going to look it up? Is this the honor system? It's the honor system. I am okay. watching you on video right now. So should I put my hands up so you can see I'm not typing? I mean, yeah, that's fine. So <laughs> I like this. from 2005 to 2017, um, we didn't. I didn't include Micah Parsons in that total just because I didn't think that it was necessarily fair to include the, that same player. But from 2005 to 2017, every year except for one, the leading tackler has been a linebacker. Marcus Allen, 2016. Oh, well. <laughs> that was a good one, though. I am impressed. Yes. This looting, this list is Paul Pazluzzi, 0506, Dan Connor in 07, Bowman in 08, Josh Hall in 09, Chris Colasanti, 2010, which I did not remember that at all. Gerald Hodges, 11 and 12, Glenn Carson, 2013, Mike Hall, 2014, Kabinda, 15 and 17, and Marcus Allen, 2016, the only non linebacker. So, Mark, 2016, Marcus Allen had like, what, 23 tackles or something like that against Minnesota in, in one game. It was something, had, it was like 23 against Minnesota, and then like 21 against Temple or something like that. So, yeah. So, no. And he, he, I mean, yeah, he was a safety. He also played, a, he played very close to the line of scrimmage a lot of the time, but that was actually a pretty good one. That would stump a lot of people. It does not stump me, though. I'm glad that your first one was an easy one that I knew. So you can get a little harder on me uh, next podcast. But I, like yeah, that I, was, I was I was actually very impressed there. I I mean, I, I would have been disappointed if you didn't get it, because if you've watched Penn State football as intently as you've watched it, you should probably figure it out. But to be fair, our one of our sponsors of the podcast, not the not the not the main sponsor, but <laughs> Jack um, <laughs> not not Jack Lott. I did not ask him this question, but Wilton Smith. It took him a little bit to answer this question. It took him way longer to answer this question than it took you. So, I have a few skills in my life, and uh, Penn Savable knowledge happens to be one of them. Very tough to monetize that, though. But hey, it's it's still a skill. Anyway, let's get back to the over unders. So, 111 so, and a half tackles for Michael Parsons yes. this year. Yes, that is why we set it at 111 and a half. Yes, Pat, where you at on this one? I have, oh, I'm second guessing myself now. I wrote over, so I think I'm going to stick with that. Looking back, it is pretty tough to get over, like if you just look back through the years of Penn State, especially during Franklin's era, I think it was only 
Mike Hall that's had over a hundred and yeah, Marcus Allen in 2016 came the closest to 111 and a half, which it would, when he had 110 and then Mike Hall in 2014 had a ridiculous 140 tackles, which Jesus, Mike Hall is an absolute beast. But um, I mean, I just think Micah Parsons is that special. And we saw last year and, you know, when he was splitting stats with Koa Farmer, still able to put up whatever it was, 82, 83 tackles. So I think now that he's going to be seeing 85% of the snaps during games so that seeing 55 or 60% of snaps or whatever it was that's going to in- continue to increase. And he's just flat out going to be a better player than he was last year. So I, I think a hundred plus is a definite lock and, you know, provided he stays healthy, which goes without saying for, for any of these picks, if these guys get injured, obviously it's going to be a lot of unders, but yeah, I, I think he's going to be over. What are you thinking? I am almost identical to what you just said. I think, between him actually getting snaps instead of sitting behind Koa Farmer and the fact that he's just a sophomore now. He's had a year of experience. He already had a nose for the ball, but he just now he's he's learning what to look for. He's learning patterns. He's learning where he needs to be. I think this is easy. I think this is absolutely the over. And it wouldn't uh, it obviously I think that he should lead the team in tackles again. It wouldn't surprise me if he led the team in tackles every year that he was on the roster, whether that's three years or four years. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Let's stick with the defense still. Once again, another one that you came up with. You have Etor Grossmanos over under sacks 15 and a half, which is what Carl Nassib put up. In 2015, Carl Nassib put up 15 and a half sacks. That's the Penn State record. Okay, so he would the over would be him breaking Penn State record. I'm going under here, pretty well under. I would be, I wouldn't say surprised if he gets double digits but i don't think i think he's going to see obviously he's going to see more double teams this year teams know who he is now through like the first like six weeks of last year not that he wasn't good but he was just a, a young guy and still hadn't totally broken through yet i think now teams definitely know who etergos matos is and uh i think it's going to be tough to get that i think he's super talented and that's kind of the thing with gross matos too is he's not a pure speed pass rusher like, I, f- I feel like, you know, when you look at, like, Aaron Maven, like, what was the number one thing he was far and away best at was just flat out getting after the quarterback. Grossmanos can do a lot more, especially with, you know, setting the edge when defending the run and, and doing stuff like that, taking on double teams. So he can make his impact in more than just, you know, the sack numbers itself. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go under thinking he's going to get somewhere like nine to 10, something like that this year. What are you thinking? For this one, I'm going under. I said it. Pretty high, just because of the expectations coming into the year. But I w- I'm going under for a couple of reasons. First off, just personally, Carl Nassib is one of just the nicest dudes I've ever met in my life. I'm a huge Carl Nassib guy, and I don't want anybody to break his record. But just kind of along the similar lines that you said, he's somebody that every offensive coordinator that Penn State plays has to game plan around. Just like Michael Parsons is, but I feel like it's easier to game plan around a defensive end than it is a linebacker just because you just have more options on it's easier to send help over there like you absolutely. can put, you can line up a tight end right right by etor gosmanos every single play so absolutely and part of the reason that i think carl nasset has such success is that his 15 and a half sack year in 2015 was his breakout year as opposed to last year was gosmanos uh breakout year and people know what's coming this year 
So he is still going to have a dominant year, but I don't think that he's going to break Penn State's record. I think he has a talent to break Penn State's record just on his face, but I think the teams are going to be smart. They're going to double-team him as much as they possibly can. They're going to send help, like you said. It's going to be tough for him to do that, so I'm going to go under. I like the rest of the defensive line this year, so it's no slight at them, but that 2015 defensive line, I think you can make an argument pretty easily that Nassib was the third best player. When you're playing with Anthony Zettel and Austin Johnson, that certainly opens up a lot of other holes. And like you said, for so much of the year, Nassib was just, you know, he's a former walk-on guy who had only seen snaps here and there. So I think I think you put Ishwar Grosmanos on that defensive line. who do a lot of damage, but this year he's going to be carrying carrying a heavier burden than, than NASA ever really did. So uh, I think we're in agreement here, but anyway, let's go back to the offense. We have Ricky Slade over under 1000 rushing yards. This one's kind of tough, but I'm just curious what you're thinking about Ricky Slade. You think he rushes for more than a thousand yards. It's kind of difficult to know what Penn state's running back room is going to be like, could be journey Brown, could be Noah Kane, could be, uh, them all splitting reps, but that was something we heard last year too. Is that there is going to be a lot more splitting of reps, and then it just ended up being almost all Miles Sanders. So this year it could be one of the things of they actually do split the reps, or it could just end up being a whole lot of Slade. And so, what are you thinking here? Do you think he goes over a thousand yards? This one's really tough. This one is probably the one that I had the most back and forth with over the last three years. Trace McSorley was always the second leading rusher, and then you had obviously had Saquon Barkley and 16-17, and Miles Sanders last year is the leading rusher. So you don't really have any examples of James Franklin's offense with two running backs. I mean, technically you have Bill Belton and uh, Akeel Lynch in 2014, but... And Zach Swinnack. Don't forget Zach Swinnack. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really count that at all. But it's just... This is just a gut feeling. I think I'm going to go under. Okay, so do you, do you I, feel- I, I really have no idea. I feel like hopefully the running back room is just has enough talent that guys are going to get reps that Ricky Slade's not going to have to carry that much of the load as the running back. Hopefully Journey Brown's going to get in there, get some quality reps. Hopefully Noah Kane. I mean, I don't know that he's going to necessarily play against Ohio State unless he absolutely just explodes, but especially in the early games, I could see him getting some reps, so... This is a complete shot in the dark. Just I'm going to go under. Yeah, it's one of those things of. I could see Ricky Slade rushing for over a thousand yards. I could see Journey Brown rushing for over a thousand yards. I could see Noah Kane maybe rushing for over a thousand yards. That's where it kind of gets. I don't know about that. You could see Noah Kane running rushing for a good four or five hundred yards and taking. Yeah, but yeah. Here. And then on the other end, yeah. it's like I could also see a scenario where they all you know do, do share reps and none of them get to a thousand yards. I'm still going to go over just because I am such a Ricky Slade believer. I'm also a Journey Brown guy as well, so this is really tough for me. But Ricky Slade was just so... If you would ask me last year after the Appalachian State game, who... I don't want to... I probably still would have said Miles Sanders, but Ricky Slade just looks so good and so explosive and so quick. You know, those first couple steps, which are more important for a running back than a 40 time. You know, you care more about those first five yards or those first 10 yards than anything else. And he was just accelerated and just had so much agility and just so much wiggle. So I think he's really, really good. And I think if he, uh, you know, wouldn't have fumbled so often and if he wouldn't have gone to the doghouse, which he apparently did, he would have played a whole lot more. But I'm just a, a Ricky Slade believer. And, and I think somebody will 
I I do think somebody will go over over a thousand yards. So, and I think the most likely would be Ricky Slade. So, I am going to go over here. Anyway, okay, we still have quite a few more to get to, and we are taking way too long on all these. So, we're going to speed this up a little bit. KJ Hamler over under ten rushing attempts. Last year, he definitely did not have ten rushing attempts. It was one of the most annoying things about. Penn State's offense last year. So, Alex, do you think he'll get 10 rushing attempts this year over or under? I think he should get more than 10 rushing attempts. I think that anytime you get the ball into his hands, it can obviously just, I mean, he, he can take it for a touchdown if you're on your own 20 yard line after a touchback. I think they need to get the ball into his hands on a lot of end around, stuff like that. But I don't think that it's going to happen because Ricky Ronnie is dumb. So. That is cool. that is my executive, just obviously just brilliant take. I'm gonna go under. All right. Well, as a rookie rider, I can't I can't sit here and and let you besmirch him like that. I am going over ten rushing attempts for KJ Hamler. I don't think it needs to be. I don't think it needs to get like thirty rushing attempts. I don't think it needs to be ridiculous. But definitely in the you no, know, give me one and a half rushing attempts per game. A couple jet sweeps, maybe an end around. Just get the ball in KJ Hamler's hand as much as possible so i'm going over there as well let's stay with kj hamler do you think he finally returns a punt for a touchdown this year he was very close last year a couple times do you think he gets one this year and remember this is just punts not not kick returns as well which we don't even know if he's going to be the punt returner they always change it up but i have a feeling he will be so do you think he has a punt return for a touchdown this year this is set at 0.5 so what do you think i think if it was combined punt and kick returns i would go over I think he has a much greater chance of returning a kick for a touchdown than a punt for a touchdown. I'm going to go under on this one. I just, just a gut feeling Penn state just not doesn't, it just doesn't return punts for touchdowns very often. New special teams coach. Got to remember that Joe Lorig. Well, we had a new special teams coach last year too. And the first (laughs) game of the year, Deandre Tompkins returned a punt for a touchdown and it was great. And then everything went to hell. So that's true. And it was uh, that punt return touchdown by uh, Tompkins was the first one since Derek Williams, I believe. So, yeah, I'm gonna go under well, here just just because of history. Tompkins had one in 2017 too, but that one in 2017 was the first one since Derek Williams. Regardless, I agree. I am gonna go under. I still think special teams would be pretty good this year, but punt returns are pretty tough, and who knows if KJ Hamler will even be back there for every punt return. They kind of like to split it no matter what so it could be Tompkins or well it's not gonna be Tompkins because Compton's has graduated but I think Hamlin probably shared dudes with somebody so who knows let's stay with wide receiver Justin Shorter over under 35 receptions I probably proclaimed last year that Justin Shorter would lead Penn State in receptions and he definitely he definitely did not end up leading Penn State in receptions but he was not even really close yeah he was dinged up as the BSC comment section loves to uh, to mention every time Justin Shorter is brought up. He's no longer dinged up and hopefully will not be dinged up this year. So do you think he gets over or under 35 receptions? So for this one, I actually did research just like the, uh, the tackles one. Go me. Okay. No need, no need to uh, continue to brag about doing research. So, some, of us, some of us may not have done research. You're making them feel bad, but continue well, <laughs> you know somebody has to it's fine this one it all it kind of all depends here on where you think justin shorter is in the hierarchy of receiving options for penn state i think we can all agree that kj hamler's number one and i think most likely we can all agree that pete uh pat firemuth number two 
So basically right now it all depends on if you think Jahan Dotson is going to be a better wide receiver this year than Justin Shorter. Because the fourth receiver for Penn State has only hit more than 35 catches once under James Franklin. That was 2017. Deshaun Hamilton hit 53 catches. That year you had Saquon Barkley, you had Jawan Johnson, and you had Jasicki leading the team. And they all had more than 50 catches. I don't necessarily think that he is going to hit 35 catches. I'm going to go under. The only reason that I could see him hit over 35 is if they really want to just force the the whole uh, Julian Fleming, oh, your five-star receiver <laughs> doesn't get any playing time. He sucks under James Franklin. Oh, he doesn't get any, you know, whatever. If they really wanted to force that, I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that he gets enough touches because I think he's an explosive player and I think that he could obviously just bring some immense, uh, uh, tremendous talent to the field, but I don't think that he's going to hit 35. Who do you think has more receptions, John Dotson or Justin Shorter? I'm going to go Dotson. Okay. I have Justin Shorter over that clearly. I mean, I can't, <laughs> I can't not. I predicted that he would have had. The most receptions on the team last year. And quite honestly, I just believe in Justin Shorter's talent. I like the cut of his jib, as one would say. Dude's a freak. 6'4", 6'5", 235 pounds. I think it will be interesting because he is kind of Saeed Blackmail E in the sense that I feel like so many of his receptions will be downfield and he's not going to get a lot of short stuff here and there. Although, not so, not say he's a one-dimension guy, but I just feel like his role will be more of stretching the field in the big play type, which generally doesn't lend to a bunch of receptions like the way Deshaun Hamilton would have you know multiple games of seven plus receptions stuff like that who knows if Shorter is going to have so many opportunities like that but I just I need Justin Shorter to be really good just to, <laughs> to make myself look good I'm I'm convinced he's going to be an eventual uh all big 10 caliber player and I think I think it will be this year so I do, have do owe us some Mountain, Mountain Dew. Dew that was only last year I don't that that is unfortunately uh coming gone but um i'm going over here which is which is the main point you mentioned pat farmuth a little bit let's get into him over under seven and a half receiving touchdowns for him this year what are you thinking i'm gonna go over he had eight last year and he wasn't even really the main option until four or five games into the year i think between the fact that he's just an absolute animal and he's the tight end. The tight end's always the security blanket for the quarterback. I think this is easy, easy over. He should be an All-American this year. This is one of those that it seems like an easy over, and because of that, I'm going under. I think he's going to have a very, very good year. I just feel like it's going to be one of those weird situations where, for some reason, he just doesn't have a bunch of touchdowns. He's very good friends with Sean Clifford, I believe, which I always like when quarterbacks are you know friends with their receiving options. But there was one time I drafted Brent Selleck very, very high in a fancy draft because he was very good friends with Kevin Kolb, and then he ended up having a terrible year. So ever, <laughs> ever since then, I, I don't know if I totally believe in the best friend thing. I, I totally forgot about Kevin Kolb. So that might happen here. If I wow. Clifford might be boys, but just doesn't find him in the red zone. So Pat Frymuth is, is, is awesome and incredible, but I'm going to go under on a seven and a half receiving touchdowns. For Mr. Farmuth, 
let's jump back to the defense. We don't have to spend too much on this one. Tariq Castro Fields over under one and a half interceptions. He's only had one interception his entire career, and I believe it's against Georgia State, if I remember correctly. So way back his freshman year. It's been a while. Tariq Castro Fields is a very good cornerback otherwise, but has not seemed to uh, be able to play the ball. Do you think he's going to have more than one interception this year, Alex? I'm going to go with the over. I know that you're really high on him, and despite the popular opinion and contrary belief, um, I do value your opinion. Mm, thank you. And he's just going to get a lot of playing time. I think he's going to be across from John Reed, who people aren't going to want to throw at, so he's going to have a lot of opportunities. So I'm going to go with the over. I'm going under here. I would totally wow. love a season in which Tariq Asherfield gets like three interceptions or something like that. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's, again, not that you need interceptions to show that you're a good cornerback because Tariq Asherfield has been, you know, was a really good cornerback last year and didn't have any interceptions. But I think it's going to be more of the same this year, unfortunately. And then the last one, Penn State player wise, three and a half red shirts used for freshmen. And you have in parentheses, Pat, you can answer this because I'm guessing that you what what would be your guess? Um, I'd like you to go first because then I can just <laughs> say whatever you say. <laughs> I think it's and it's key part of this is freshmen. So we're not counting the Jukos, Jaquan Brisker and Anthony Wigan. I think it's going to be over and I'm pretty confident on that. I think that cornerback Keen Ellis, linebacker Brandon Smith, and running back Noah Keen are all definites to not be redshirted. So if it's already the bars set at three, I think it's more than likely that one of Lance Dixon or Devin Ford or John Dunmore or Caden Wallace or Adisa Isaac or Marquise Wilson or Tyler Rudolph, there's a lot of guys that I could see playing this year. I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's gonna be like seven or eight, but I, I think it'll probably be like five or so. So what are you thinking? I'm guessing are you are you just gonna agree with me or <laughs> I agree one hundred percent with what you just said. I'm gonna go the over. Okay, let's keep it going. Now these are just gonna get kind of stupid, but let's do it anyway. Kickoffs after three thirty, we have the over under at four and a half. And what? So far it's Buffalo, Maryland. Are those the only two that are announced for after? Those are the only two that are officially announced. Uh, the rumor is that Iowa is going to be either seven or eight, depending on if it's on ABC or Fox. And we are going to assume that Michigan is also an 8 p.m. kickoff on ABC. Those are total assumptions by us, but I feel like they're probably pretty safe. So we said at four and a half is one more kickoff going to be after 3.30 p.m. Yeah, I'm going under here, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it has to be under. Yeah, it's definitely under, because if Penn State-Iowa is primetime game and Michigan-Penn State's primetime, that would be back-to-back weeks of Penn State primetime games, so obviously Michigan State wouldn't then get primetime as well, although the one potential landmine here is that Mich- or is that Fox has four o'clock kickoffs, which I guess would count as after three 30, but still, yeah, I, I still think it's going to be under, which by the way, I'm not going to be a happy camper. If Penn state has to once again, play Kinnick at 8 PM, that's not fair. Shouldn't have to do that twice in a decade. That's illegal. And I will not stand for it, but regardless, I'm going to go under here. What are you thinking? For this one, I'm also going to go under. I think the four that we have are pretty solid. And the only caveat that I would have is if 
the Ohio State Penn State game or Michigan State Penn State game is on Fox where they do have the four o'clock kickoffs. But basically that's basically a three thirty game. So but I don't think I don't think they're gonna put Ohio State on at eight PM. They already have a seven thirty PM kickoff at home. I think we're pretty set at four. I agree. Let's move on to our next bit one. Double digit fourth quarter leads given up over under 0.5. I'm going under here and you're going under here too. And I will not allow you to even say over. So we'll go on to our next one right away after that. For which... the record, I was going to also say under and I was going to make you say under as well. I'm, okay. glad, we're on, I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> no, no double digit leads given up in the fourth quarter this year. And now perhaps for our stupidest one that has no bearing on anything. Gaines Alex attends. Over under four and a half. I literally have no idea. Considering you don't have season <laughs> tickets this year, though, I'm going to guess that it's going to be under. So that's my guess. Yeah, this one I'm not 100% sure. Right now I have four tentatively planned. Since I don't have season tickets this year, we are thinking about going to Idaho. First game of the year. Possibly Maryland. We are going to Iowa, which I'm super excited about. And Purdue. So that's four. And this one's tough. But I think that I'm probably just going to end up with a random ticket here or there. And I'm going to go over four and a half games attended by me. All right. That's totally exciting stuff (laughs) (laughs) on Alex's schedule this fall. Let's do a couple of Nash ones real quick. Wait, are you going over or under? I said under. You said under? Okay. Yeah, I'm still sticking with under. Let's do a couple of Nash ones really quickly. Uh, Clemson over under 11 and a half. I have over and Alabama over under 11. I also have over. Were you on those two programs? Yeah. Over for both. Yeah. Seems, I pretty, f- seems pretty straightforward. I honestly feel like this is like Texas USC 2005 where these two teams are mm, Georgia, I guess maybe too, but I feel like those Georgia two teams, can be the Penn state 2005. Yeah. I feel like those two teams are just so clearly it's kind of not fair that Tua and Trevor Lawrence are both back again because they're just, ridiculous quarterbacks and in college football, it's, it's gotta be borderline impossible to stop, especially when you have the rest of the talent that Alabama and Clemson have. So I agree over on both of those Nebraska over under eight and a half. I think Nebraska stinks. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about Nebraska being a cha- a championship contender, which people apparently think they are. So I'm going under here. I don't think they, they win nine or 10 games. What do you think on Nebraska? Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. I'm glad we're on the same page here too. You have Oregon over under eight and a half. I I honestly have no idea what to expect at Oregon. All I know is that the quarterback is back and he probably would have been a first round pick. So I'll go over. What do you think? He would have been the first overall pick this year. I think he probably will be the first overall pick next year. And well, depending on obviously if Tua Tagovailoa, whatever he does, I'm going to go over as well. Oregon's going to win the Pac-12. Mississippi State over under seven and a half. This is clearly over because Joe Moorhead is my father. I am assuming you agree that Mississippi State has more than seven and a half wins, correct? Yeah, I just wanted to say on the podcast that I think Mississippi State is going to be good because our father, Joe Moorhead, is going to lead our large adult brother, Tommy <laughs> Stevens, to at least eight victories or more. And then last but not actually, this is least. <laughs> yes, last and least. <laughs> Rutgers over under three. And then you have after LOL. I'm assuming this is under. I, I honestly couldn't tell you other than what's the I can't think of the quarterback's name. 
It's Dikowski. I, I, I don't even, I, I don't know what the quarterback's name is. Um, it has to be under. Yeah, this one is kind of tough. They do play UMass first game of the year, night game under the lights at Rutgers. So I think that'll probably be a win. Liberty on October 26th at home will probably be a win. So do we think that they're going to get one Big Ten win? Because they're going to play Boston College non-conference. That's going to be a loss. I'm going to go under three wins for Rutgers. There you have it. We both think that Rutgers will be under three wins, and maybe they will fire Chris Ash, but maybe not. Who knows with Rutgers? That is all we have today. I feel like we don't say this enough, but please give us, we haven't said it in a while at least, please give us a five-star review on whatever podcast app you listen to, hopefully iTunes. So if you do so on that or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's considered, please give us a five-star rating and write a comment if you want. Make it mean, make it not nice. As long as it's five stars, we don't really care what you write. Uh, make sure you're visiting the site, blackshoediaries.com. Make sure you follow Blackshoe Diaries on Twitter, BSD Tweet. And uh, season's almost here, so podcast will be coming out more and more. Hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. Alex, do you want to say goodbye to the fine folks? Yes, thanks for listening through our made-up BS. If you have a better segment name than Stump the Pat for our weekly trivia question that I'm going to try and come up with, please tweet us at a Robinson PSU at whatever past name is now. Um, I don't, it's not at Patrick Kober anymore. No, it's Porpler. So it's my last name, Kerbler, except with a P and I don't feel like spelling it. So just tweet BSD tweet or you, you'll find us tweet us somehow. If any of our listeners are selling Purdue tickets, I'm looking for four Purdue tickets. So hit me up. But other than that, thanks for listening. Yeah, that's all I got. And as always, it begins with I love you and it ends with I love you. And I love you guys.